Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody glad you're here. Thank you. You're awesome. I love you guys. Thank you very much. Um, I want to greet those who are with us online. Uh, If you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, we are absolutely uh, delighted to have you with us. And we want to invite you. Uh, In one month, we're unleashing a a fabulous spiritual adventure here, uh, engaging with God's Word. As you heard Randy share, um, we want you to grab one or both of these books. I know these are sold out, but this one is so cool. I use this as my personal devotions. I'm sure it's designed for parents with children or grandparents with grandkids, but I went through it in 44 days from Genesis to Revelation. When we begin a month, it'll lead you all the way up uh, to Easter, just doing it four times a week. My grandson, David, he's four. He asked my Debbie, my wife, He said, Grandma, tell me a scary story. So she grabbed this and opened it up to Daniel and the scary sleepover. Daniel and the lion's den, pretty awesome. Um, Deb and I, in fact, Deb and I, when we were on vacation, we used this each morning before we went out into the mountains, um, before we had communion. And uh, in fact, Debbie has a picture of me reading this to our dog. (laughs) Our dog needs to be saved. But I, I love this book as well. When I finished this one, I picked up this one. This is 15, it, this is like, oh, I don't know, seven, eight minutes, a story that you read that's illustrated. This is like 15 minutes a day, five days a week. And I've been serving as a pastor here for 38 years, but all together 40 years as a minister. And I'm learning and gaining new insights. These are the 52 a primo Uh, passages of scripture to help us understand our Father in heaven, his Son, our Lord Jesus, and the power, presence of the Holy Spirit, and the vitality, and the vigor, uh, and the authority of God's Word. So I can't, I think I'm on week 14, and we'll have more uh, next week. In fact, I'd like to ask you to pray with me now over our engagement in these books. Would you bow with me, please? Father, I know a bunch of us, we start reading the Bible, but we don't get it. Um, so we quit. So I thank you for books like this that take us into your word, that are saturated with your word, that point us to Jesus. I mean, everything in the Bible means something and everything points to Jesus. And we just want to know him through your word. Help us, please, in his name, amen. Um, hey, I want to start with a question, get you thinking. What are some of the things in your life you love uh, the most? And while you think, I'll, I'll give you mine. Uh, here's my number one thing, my grandbabies. Um, if you don't know my family, I have a son who's adopted uh, from Haiti. Uh, he's about 30 in there somewhere. He was born under a tree, so we don't really know how old he is. But this is his oldest daughter on my lap, Bella. Uh, she's five years old. My wife of 45 years, my Debbie, is b- beside me, and she's holding... Wilkie's second daughter, she's now 15 months old. This was taken like at Easter. And then my granddaughter, Emma, is 22. 
single. <laughs> she, she's a recent college graduate, got her first time full-time job at Beloit College, and we're really proud of her. And uh, look at the face on that boy on the end. That's little David. He is four going on 24. Um, but they own my heart. Now, yeah, we all love special people, um, but we all love special places. And here's my favorite for my Debbie and I. We love the Rocky Mountains. We've climbed uh, both Mount Massive is in this picture. I believe that uh, that's maybe Albert that you're looking at. Massive would be off to the left. Um, this is taken from one of our favorite spots, Leadville. Maybe you're not a mountain person. You're a beach person or, or you're a North Woods person or you're a lake person. And please, if you are, keep going to the beach and the lake and the woods because I want the mountains just to me. And then we all have favorite foods, don't we? Foods we just love. Here's mine. Yeah. Someone said tacos. Well, spam tacos. I had spam yesterday for breakfast, made some for my Debbie, made some for our dog. They both lived through it, so it's all good. We, we fell in love with it when we used to go primitive camping up in the mountains. And, uh, you know, preserved in a can, light the sterno, Heat it up, yummy, yummy in my tummy. Um, the next slide you'll find a bit surprising as one of the things I love right now in my life. As many of you are aware, the Bears are out of it. So this is my new favorite team right now for as long as they last. Uh, you're pathetic. Um, <laughs> hey, we have guests here today. Straighten up. Uh, you know, I, I'm serious about that stuff in my life that I love. You have stuff that you love, but I'll tell you, we throw the word love around loosely. And the one thing that I love with a full heart and complete devotion is the church of Jesus Christ. And every expression, I grew up in a little hillbilly country, and I say country, I mean country, country, church. But those few country people shaped my early faith. And when I got into the ministry, I was in a large city, Evansville, Indiana, in kind of a medium-sized church of about 500 worshipers on the weekend. I was there for six years, and then 38 years ago, um, by your invitation, Deb and I came here to be your pastor. And this is what our building looked like at the time. We were on the west side of town and uh, great things, great people inhabited that place of worship. We were a small church, maybe about 70 families. And we moved from there to this location and bam, all of a sudden jumped up to 500 people worshiping God on the weekend. It was just like he put his hand up. No one could believe it. No one anticipated it. We moved up to this property, and that was our little place of worship. We call it the chapel now, at that time, church in a hayfield. And then we just kept growing, 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 so we built what we call a family life center. It's really just a gym, uh, the building on your right, and we worshiped in the gym there, doing worship to the scent of dirty sweats up there for about eight years, and uh, grew to 1,800. First weekend in that facility, we jumped up to 1,000 worshipers on the weekend 
uh, every weekend. And then 1800, and we built the room that you're in. And maybe my favorite thing about this church was our devotion to diversity. And we, very first weekend in the family life center, worshiping in the gym, one of our Spanish-speaking young women came up to me and said, oh, Pastor David, have you ever thought of having a Spanish-speaking service? And I'm like, I'm all in. I spent six months studying the Word of God with about 17 Spanish-speaking people, um, out of whom God raised up a pastor. We launched a Spanish-speaking service um, And then we merged with an African-American inner city church, wanted to continue to grow in our diversity, do life together. And then we're just devoted to this room becoming ever, ever, ever more captivated by the beauty of diversity. Um, I love, one of the reasons that we would do that, We, our vision, I love the vision of this church, which is to transform the whole state line area into a Christ-like community. That's why we would have an inner city campus and a Spanish, if there are Latino people in our community, we want them touched by the love of Jesus. In fact, we want every heart and every home affected positively by the love of Christ. Now you think, well, dang, David, that's a huge, huge goal. How are you ever going to make that happen? Well, it's not up to me. And I believe my God is not too big. I believe my God is capable of touching every heart. And we say that we'll do it by our mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. And this is the acid test of whether or not you are real in your Christian faith. If you know Jesus, you tell people about it. You invite your friends. You have conversation with your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors, and that's our mission. We believe we can reach every heart and every home on every street and every neighborhood as our relationship with Jesus is real. And out of that profound experience in him, we share Share it with others. One of my favorite things about this church is that because of all the things I've said over the last five years, we've had over a thousand people surrender their lives to Jesus in baptism. Um, yeah, awesome. And so I believe that if you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. And he loves the church in every expression. In fact, When he was given opportunity to communicate with churches, he would write letters to them. He loved the churches. He loved the pastors. He loved the people. He didn't post on Facebook. He didn't do it on Instagram. Didn't send a text. Didn't send an email. He wrote a letter. Seven letters to seven churches, seven pastors. Next three weeks, we're going to Go over these letters to see what Jesus has to say to us. Because as you'll find out, these letters were not just for churches then. They're for all churches of all time. Not just for people back then, but for Christ's Father. For you, these letters are written to me. These letters are written to you. And Jesus dictates these letters to his best friend, John. John is captured. He's imprisoned, if you will, on a penal island of Patmos. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go there, but it's not easy to get to. They dump the prisoners off there. No trees on this island. They got to take care of themselves until they just die of exposure or hunger or whatever. 
But Jesus meets John there, says, write these letters. Jesus dictates, John writes, and it goes like this. Very first letter to the very first church. You see, I'm going to start in the order that Jesus goes in. This is the number one church, but it's got a a big number one problem. Write this letter to the angel. It was a symbol. The book of Revelation is full of symbols. It had to be because at that time, the Roman emperor, his name was Domitian, and he was so vicious and intent on destroying the church, it is said that his persecution bathed the world, the whole world bathed the world in Christian blood. He's the one that put John on Patmos. He's the one that had Peter crucified upside down. So the symbol... Now, if it was a symbol for me today, it would say, spam-eating pastor. But then it was angel. An angel's a messenger. That's what a pastor does, is share a message. The pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, let me show you a picture of Ephesus today. I was there a number of years ago with people from our church. Uh, that big building in the background of the picture uh, was their library. And behind the library was the building where I believe the Apostle Paul served this church as pastor. Ephesus was a huge, huge city, 200,000 people. That was big at that time. One of the ancient seven wonders of the world was in Ephesus. St- the ruins are still there. It was the Temple of Diana. She was the goddess of fertility, and they would worship her, wanting wanting lots of crops, wanting lots of things, wanting lots of babies, wanting lots of herds. They would worship her by having sex with temple priests or priestesses. Kind of gross. But that was the environment in which the church, I mean, it flourished. Uh, It was a famous church, famous because it made a profound impact on the community, Famous because it had famous pastors. The Apostle Paul pastored the church twice. Timothy, who has two books of the New Testament named after him, he was the pastor there. And this John on Patmos now, he was the pastor. In fact, John wrote his gospel, his record of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus while he was the pastor in Ephesus. But it was also famous because one of the attenders of the church in Ephesus was Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this church looks really good on the outside, but something has died on the inside. And so Jesus writes, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one. He's identifying himself. I'm the Lord of the church. I am the Son of God, crucified for your sins and risen from the dead. This is from the one who holds. Say holds. Yeah, say it again. Holds. Yeah, because this word is the key to understanding this text, this letter. This this word is the hinge on which all the meaning turns in this letter. I am the one who holds the seven stars. Again, another symbol for pastors. I thought it should say seven rock stars, but the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, which is a symbol for churches. Churches were, be, were meant to cast a light into the darkness, a radiate a goodness. That w- hey, grab that. I ain't paid for. Thank you. 
I love you. Um, where was I? Was I saying something good? Oh, uh, the churches. Churches were to, to shine the light of Christ. I mean, their intent was to transform every heart on every street and every neighborhood into the likeness of Jesus. They were lamp stands. Now, let me start with the number seven because the number seven, as you know, numbers in the Bible are hugely significant. They are symbolic. And the number seven is the most holy of all numbers. Because it represents spiritual completeness. This is an indication to us that these letters written to these seven pastors in seven churches were not just for them. But they were to be taken in by the completeness of all churches all over the world. All pastors and not just pastors and churches. But by every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus. Seven letters to seven pastors, seven churches means these letters are to you. This is Jesus speaking to me. If Jesus could write a letter to you, this is what he would write. Now that word holds. The reason I had you repeat it and repeat it, the reason I wanted to emphasize that this word holds in the Greek is krateo. And, and it means a powerful, prevailing hold. Now this is exciting because Jesus, if he could find pastors who were fully surrendered to him, he would hold them with prevailing power and wield them to his glory. If he could find churches that were surrendered to him, he'd get all choked up. If he could find churches that were surrendered to him, he would hold them with prevailing power and wield them to his glory. I mean, he, 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 he would be intent and he would be believing as sovereign God that he could wield them to his glory, to every heart, in every home, on every street, in every neighborhood have been touched by the love of Christ. But it's for us, it's for me, it's for you. If you surrender your relationship to Jesus, he will hold your marriage, your parenting, your friendships with prevailing power. If you surrender your finances to Jesus, he will hold your finances, prevailing power, yield your emotions. I prayed with a number of you today who kind of in an emotional mess right now for whatever your reasons. And I just want to comfort you with this text because if you will surrender right now your emotions, whatever they are to Jesus, he will take a prevailing powerful hold even on your emotions and wield them to peace and wield them to hope and wield them till you cry out, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Lift you out of the pit of despair. Plant your feet on the higher ground of superabundant living. But you have to surrender fully to him. In fact, here's the promise that Jesus made in scripture. He says, I will give my followers, and I didn't say churchgoers. He says, if you're gonna come after me, you got to say no to yourself, take up your cross daily, crucify yourself, and follow me. But if you do, I will give my followers eternal life. They will never die. And no one can snatch them from my powerful, prevailing hand. In fact, this is what I want you to go away with. When you leave, there'll be 
greeters at the door with coupons to the closest tattoo parlor. I want you to have this tattooed on your left thigh. That's so many words that take both my thighs. When you truly follow Jesus in all of your life, Jesus keeps a powerful, prevailing hold on all of your life. So you don't ever have to feel lost. You don't ever have to feel alone. You don't ever have to be confused by the chaos of life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be, feel insignificant, insecure, or inadequate. Why? Because when you surrender all that garbage to Jesus, he gets a prevailing, powerful hold on your life. That's good stuff, baby. Now, Jesus not only establishes his identity, he establishes his, his authority in this letter. Check it out. He writes, the one, I'm the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands of churches. I believe he does it still. I believe right now, here, he's walking through this room. I, I believe he does it every church in this community and every church around the world. And he's observing and he's inspecting and he is searching for those who are fully surrendered to him because he is aching and anxious and eager to bless with super abundant life. He, he, he is just not holding back. He wants to pour his favor on every hope, uh, heart, every congregation, every pastor fully surrendered to him. Super abundant joy, super abundant peace, super abundant love, Superabundance. That's what Jesus promised. He said, I've come to give man life and that life superabundant. So he's observing you. He's checking you out. He's checking this church out. He's inspecting, looking for the opportunity to pour out his favor, his wonder, his miraculous grace, his winning power. So here's what he says to these guys. Upon his inspection, because the word know there, I know, it means I know from experience. I know from experience because I've been there. I've observed you. I've inspected you. All the things that you do. You dudes are busy, busy, busy. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now, this all sounds pretty good. And can you imagine the people in the church as, as this letter is being read, read? This church at this time is 40 years old, which is not very old. It was a thriving church. Something's gone wrong on the inside. But it's been a thriving church, a famous church. Now, the church you're in right now, we're weird. <laughs> Here's what makes us weird. We're an old church. We started in, in 1907, and it's very, it's unique, it's unusual for an old church to flourish like our church has flourished. This church is a young church, 40 years old. And so people are looking around, and, yeah, we're bad, we're all good, this is awesome, we work hard. And Jesus says, I don't even, I don't even see your hard work. Even when it's sacrificial, doesn't mean nothing to me because it is not motivated by love. Love is everything. So he goes on to write, I hold this against you guys. You've walked away from loving me first and best. 
Why? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? Just like Satan fell from heaven to hell? That, that, that's how serious he sees it. If, this is, if Jesus is the great physician, this is a dire diagnosis. You guys are in danger of dying spiritually because you started to love other things before me, more than me. And just showing up ain't going to get it. And so I wanted to ask you a question I had to ask myself several years ago. Have I fallen out of love with Jesus? Now, don't answer that too quickly. It's too important. It's too significant. And I tell you, my first response was pretty superficial. That's the kind of shallow pastor you got. I was on the front porch of our home on Riverside, old farmhouse up on the hill, on uh, our porch swing. And I was crying out to God. It's what I feel love. Is that it? For you, Jesus? For my Debbie? For my children? Have I fallen out of love with everybody in my life? How do I recapture my love? Well, before I get to how he answered that prayer, let me give you the warning sign so that you can know whether or not maybe you have fallen out of love with Jesus. Sure, maybe you want to give a defense. Hey, David, I'm here. Doesn't that say something about my love for Jesus? Or maybe you're here and you are yet to fall in love with Jesus. That's awesome. We want this to be a safe, non-judgmental, unconditionally accepting place where you could show up with your doubts, your unbelief, your suspicions, your cynicism about Jesus and probe and question and have your questions answered. That's why we want you to read these books. Because we know that as you read them, you'll just fall in love with Jesus. It's not about the church. Maybe you say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to be a member here. I don't know if I want you. <laughs> no, it's not about relating to a church. It's about relating to Jesus. So here's the number one symptom of someone falling out of love with Jesus. I come to worship when it's convenient. This is the average churchgoer in America. The average churchgoer, notice I didn't say Christ follower, the average churchgoer in America attends church once a month. That ain't right. That's a symptom that you're falling or have fallen out of love with Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, you follow your Lord in what was his pattern, his habit, and that is being in worship every weekend as is humanly possible. Number two, second symptom, I give to the Lord out of my finances when I think I've got it and I can spare it. You know, Jesus said, that's never going to work with me. You're either going to love your money or you're going to love me. Remember the famous statement he made, you can't love both God and money because you're going to worship one you're either going to worship your money or you're going to worship me. You're going to trust your money to take care of your bills or you're going to trust me to supply you and resupply you and give you abundance. You'll either serve one, your money, or you'll make me your God and serve me out of, out of love. And so you know that your love for Jesus is going in the tank when you find that your giving to him out of your finances is going to the tank. Why would you give to someone you don't even love? Number three... 
I don't have enough of a faith to share with friends and family. I mean, when you have a vigorous faith through your real relationship with Jesus, the joy is so real and the hope is so substantial and the peace is so beyond comprehension and the love unlimited that you just have to give it away. You gotta talk to people about it at work or in the neighborhood or your friends or family. It's just evidence of the reality of your surrendered relationship to Jesus. So... How do we then, the more important question, how do we recapture loving Jesus first and most? It's the same way it works in all relationships. And in fact, over the course of time, as I kept praying that prayer, Jesus said, you do, you do, you take initiatives in loving behaviors, even if you don't feel like it, and you'll find yourself loving me best and most. And then you'll find unrestricted, unrestrained love flowing out of you for your Debbie and for your children. My Debbie and I dated for four years before we were married. We've been married for 45 years. And I remember that evening, it was dark. I was walking Debbie back to her dorm room at Lincoln Christian University. And uh, before she went in, and I'd been pursuing her for quite some time. And uh, I was, had worked my way up to holding her hand. We're holding hands as we walked to our dorm room. And we get to the door going in. It felt like to me that she was lifting her face toward me. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> so I leaned down and planted my first warm, passionate kiss on her lips. And she probably thought I was really cold because I was shivering, trembling. And in fact, after she went into the dorm, I walked back to my dorm room and I was trembling the whole way. Okay, I've been married 45 years. And unless I kiss my wife and stick my finger in an electrical socket at the same time, I don't tremble when we kiss. But I tell you, over the last 49 years that we've known each other and been in love, we have both had to recapture that love for each other because it fades And when we catch it fading, we've got to intentionally recapture it. And what I found is, the more I recapture my love for Debbie, the better the love gets, the stronger the love becomes, the more rich the love is. I've had to do it with my children. My children have had to recapture their love for me. I've had to do it with you. 38 years you're a pastor, you've had to recapture your love for me. I've had to recapture my love for you. And look what's happened. We got a great love for each other, but it came through recapturing love. And so you say, okay, how do I do that? I want to love Jesus. I I want his love to flow through me to my friends and family. Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark on this. Number one, he says, remember. Remember how you've fallen away from Jesus. Be real. Get gut level real with yourself. Remembering is a double-edged sword. One side is remembering you and how you once loved him, how you once served him, how you once gave to him how you once worshiped him. The other side is remembering what he's done for you, how he died on the cross, how he paid for your sins, how God raised him from the dead, how he has forgiven everything and washed you clean of all guilt and shame. You remember your baptism. You remember his crucifixion. You you, you remember your love. You remember his resurrection. And in the remembering, in the remembering, in the remembering, it just gets better and richer and more. 
Second thing he says is that you turn to God, you repent. That means turn to God. But to turn one way, you got to turn away from something else. You turn to God and turn away from your sin. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop thinking that. I'm going to stop feeling that. I'm going to keep loving him. And number three, you render. To render means to give. I'm the son of a butcher. Thought I was going to cuss, didn't you? My dad's a meat cutter, or was, and I worked for him, and we would render what you would might consider worthless pieces of pork into yummy, yummy sausage, or throw away pieces of beef into yummy, yummy hamburger. The rendering transformed the product into something somebody really, really wanted. Render, give to Jesus first and best of your love in worship, in giving out of your finances, and sharing your faith with others. See, we remember Jesus because our focus fades. We get all focused on football. We get all focused on hunting or get all focused uh, on family. Get all focused on job. We, we repent because our faithfulness fades. We just got to keep remembering, keep repenting. And we remember, we, excuse me, we render unto Jesus because our efforts fade. And so, what's going to happen if we don't? Here's what Jesus says. If your heart remains unchanged, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand. I'll put your light out. And that's what happened in Ephesus. If you were to go with me and our church people to Ephesus, it's just a pile of ruins. No church there. Less than 1% of the nation of Turkey, where Ephesus is, less than 1% are Christians. The light of the church has gone out. Do you want that to happen here? Do you want that to happen in your life? Let's make a resolution right now. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.